Welcome to Stay Engaged. Everything you know and love about the IAB's flagship conference, Engage, but reimagined for these extraordinary times. It's Engage, but offstage. We're kicking off this series of daily offstage sessions by chatting to an Engage favorite, Tom Goodwin, head of Futures and Insight at Publicist Group. Having captivated Engage goers with his provocative take on advertising for the post-digital age back in 2018, Tom is back to answer 50 of our most pressing questions. No rehearsal, no advanced peak, and recorded entirely in a single take. Here goes. Hello, I'm James Chandler, Chief Marketing Officer at the IAB. Two years ago at Engage 2018, Tom Goodwin prodded and provoked the Barbican crowd with his take on advertising for the post-digital age. And today it's our pleasure to welcome him back to the virtual Engage stage and kick off our series of daily offstage sessions. Welcome to 50 Questions with Tom Goodwin. Tom, you called your first book Digital Darwinism. What names did you scrap? I didn't scrap any. I'm, I'm terrible at writing things in a very quick fashion. Um, so the headlines to all the articles I've ever written are absolutely awful. Um, and I couldn't come up with any good names for my book. So the publisher got very fed up and suggested Digital Darwinism. Uh, and I said it was awful and I hated it and it couldn't possibly be that. Um, so they gave me three weeks to come up with any with some better ones and I, I couldn't think of a single one. But even now I'm quite embarrassed at how bad the title of my book is. When will the post-digital age begin? I think it kind of already has. I mean, uh, you know, there's this whole notion that the future's already here but not evenly distributed. Uh, I think it's very true for the post-digital age. So the post-digital age is this idea that we start to create a new reality around technology rather than take what we've done before. And I think if you go to China and you get cash out of a machine using a face or if you use an app like Lemonade to do home insurance in the US, I think there are little mm. glimpses of this era. But the wonderful thing is we don't need anything else to get there. We just need to think a bit more about human needs and be a little bit more uh, liberated by technology. Why are millennials so hard to reach? Because they don't fucking exist. I mean, um, you know, why are people, why are Aquarians hard to, to reach? Why are, why are people from Taurus so moody? I don't even know this idea that somehow we've taken all these people and we, we, we sort of ascribe some characteristics to them. It's, it's kind of nonsense. Uh, I mean, if we do mean people that are quite young and sort of look a bit youthful, then these appear to be people that are on their phones the whole time. They appear to be on the internet. They appear to be looking at pictures of each other. So they seem quite hard to reach, to be honest. I think we just let that be used as a convenient excuse for the fact that actually we needed to think about things in a different way. On LinkedIn, you say the best way to find out about you is to ask your mum. What would she say? I actually asked her about four hours ago. I said, Mum, I've got to do this interview thing and they want to know how you describe me. And she said, Moose, I'm just going to put the supper on. I'll give you a shout later. Uh, and she's not called me back. So she would be speechless. She would be so full of pride and, and warmth and love and uh, confidence in the person <laughs> I am. She wouldn't even bother to answer that question. Uh, at Engage 2018, you said, I'd like to announce formally that this is the last presentation as myself. From this point onwards, it's all going to be written by Marcel. What happened? This is Marcel. My Marcel has become uh, self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> the, the real question is, what happened to Tom Goodwin? Uh, which emoji doesn't yet exist, but should be created? Uh, sarcasm. And uh, this is a very, very, very clear recommendation on, on, on my behalf that there needs to be something saying... 
like chill out a little bit i'm just pulling your leg i'm just being sarcastic this is fake news this is satire there needs to be a whole array of different literary devices <laughs> as emojis eat the frog or boil the ocean it's a stupid uh, way to behave but boil the ocean for me i mean i think we're only on this planet for quite a short amount of time and uh, the worst thing that we can do is not care um, knowing the right amount to care, knowing what principles to stand by, knowing what to give up in the process is obviously a key part. But yeah, I think if you're, if you're well-intentioned and you want to bring about change and you give a shit, then that's a wonderful way to be. Uber, the world's largest taxi company, owns no vehicles. Facebook, the world's most popular media owner, creates no content. Alibaba, the most valuable retailer, has no inventory. And Airbnb, the world's largest accommodation provider, owns no real estate. Something interesting is happening. Where's the weirdest place you've seen or heard this quote, which of course is yours? <laughs> you missed the, the add-on bit that people do, like Bitcoin is the world's largest bank that owns no money. <laughs> or, you know, some weird Peruvian technology company will be like excelsior technology is the world's largest 3d bit train and you're like what um the, the funniest thing that happened is i was in a meeting uh with people from ibm from their sales team and they were they were leading this sort of development of watson shortly after this came out and and they used it in a, in a slide in a sales presentation with me and they were talking about how um how this quote was a wonderful example of of the sort of move um, towards sort of crowdsourcing and sort of crowdfunding and this idea of this sort of collaborative economy and how everyone can sort of chip in. Uh, and I kind of let it go, and, and they were really going on about it. And I was like, <laughs> I don't really, um, you know, the quote wasn't the quote wasn't really about sort of democratization. Like, you know, the quote was about a sort of move to platforms and a sort of move. Yeah, away from responsibility and and how you could scale very quickly globally. And they're like, no, 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 no. It was, it was all about sort of collaboration and a collaborative economy. And I was like, nah, you know, I kind of, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty sure. Like I've seen the article, um, and it it was very much about new dynamics and <laughs> how you can spread globally and how you know a company like Netflix can reach 170 countries overnight. And they're like, well, we'll agree to disagree. And I thought, no, this is fine. Um, and then the end, I thought, Do you know what? Let's see what happens. So I went up to this uh, team and I was like, look, you know, I didn't want to embarrass you, but, um, you know, like I'm, I'm the kind of person that, that wrote that. And then, like, oh, yeah, 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 sure. And I was like, no, I am. Uh, and they're like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, all right, fine. And uh, so it was just a slightly bizarre moment. To this day, they're probably none the wiser. Yeah. Um, have you ever thought about getting a T-shirt made with that quote emblazoned on the front? No, no, because that uh, like it's quite embarrassing, really, to have a quote that goes everywhere. I think I'd quite like to have one that says, "I'm big on LinkedIn." Actually, I think um, you know the, <laughs> the world celebrates people on Instagram. They get they get promotional deals. People on Twitter are sort of known as being really smart. But if you're big on LinkedIn, people just think you've got too much time. <laughs> Mobile phone or cell phone? They're both crap words. I, I, um, <laughs> one of the most wonderful moments in my career was working for Nokia, and they brought out these devices. And they're called devices because they were smartphones before smartphone was a word. And mm. because they had the internet on them and because they had cameras and because they played music, we called them personal multimedia computers. And um, <laughs> it was an absolutely tragic turn of phrase. But there was no better word to describe something that didn't exist. Because if you called it a smartphone, then that was just a phone that was a bit better. You know, in Germany, they have mein Hand.
do is how they call a mobile phone. So I think what we really need is um, some sort of new word for this thing that does everything everywhere. Mm. Have you ever bought any likes? Yes. So I have bought... Have you? Uh, <laughs> I know, you weren't expecting that. Uh, so two things. Uh, one is on Instagram, I once bought some followers because I was just quite interested to know what would happen. Um, so only only about sort of a thousand or something. Um, so I kind of paid Casual. money to this website thinking that they'd sort of run away or start investing in terrorism or something. And actually, they just gave me a thousand followers. So I've got like a thousand more what? artificial followers on Instagram. And I actually I did on, on Twitter. So quite early on, uh, when I was um, setting up uh, myself as a company, I thought, I wonder, I wonder how I get good at this whole Twitter thing. Um, I guess I'll have to follow quite a lot of people. Uh, and I thought, why don't I buy a few followers? And then when I follow people, they're going to look at me and be like, oh, look, you know, that guy's got a few followers. <laughs> so, so I didn't buy many. I think I, think I bought 2,000 or something. So, um, you know, it's um, fake it until they make it, I guess. Yes. How did you feel after getting knocked out by Decoded in the group stages of the BBH World Cup of Books? <laughs> um, I loved that competition. Uh, when you write a book, well, when I wrote a book, um, when it goes off to print with a publisher, all you can think is, oh, my God, like, this better not be awful. Mm. Um, you know, I'm fine with nobody noticing this. I'm, I'm fine with, with nobody buying it. But if people read this and it exists in physical form everywhere and it's mm. just terrible, I'm going to look like a real dick. So my main driver in life is to not have lots of people say it's good but just to make sure that lots of people don't come up to me and they go you know mate you need some you need some real friends who tell you when you're doing something crap um so i was very happy for it to get knocked out very early on although i would point out it got knocked out uh, by the book that Kate went on to come second you know so it's it's like sort of yeah, losing to, yeah, yeah it's like losing to be. brazil yeah. or something in the world cup in the, in yes. the group stages <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it's always good. Yeah. Who's the most high-profile person you've been blocked by on Twitter? I think Benedict Evans. And I only notice because I quite often see people quote him. And I actually think he's got a lot of really good stuff to say. Um, so that was a mm. bit disappointing. What's the most cognitively dissonant thing about CES? You go there to learn about the future. And you are in this incredibly old sort of almost sort of faded grandeur of the past and you'll be looking at tv sets that are 8k and sort of 3d and curved and thin and then you'll be running out of battery power because your phone's got crap battery and you won't have any mobile phone reception because <laughs> it doesn't travel that yeah. well indoors and then people will be sort of emailing you sort of crap stuff that you can't download because they're using the wrong file type and there's just this really <laughs> odd feeling where you're learning about AI-driven content searches and then you can't sort of find someone's phone number. You've got to the end of your presentation on stage and you're absolutely bursting for the loo. You can see on the comfort monitor that there are at least 10 questions from the audience queued up. The conference host is walking towards you ready to ask the first one. What do you do? You know what's quite interesting is um, I remember when I was uh, playing at a sports club at the age of about 24, there was someone there that was a, a lecturer at university and they would talk about how they would just get hammered some night before, um, you know, being a lecturer the next day. And I was like, what? Like, you know, surely that must be really hard. Like, you know, you've, you've got to be a lecturer, you've got to be really clever. 
And they're like, no, you just sort of learn ways of dealing with it, you know? So if you're really hungover, <laughs> you know, you'll put on a video to watch or you'll just tell people to sort of read their book. And it sort of made me realise, actually, if you do something quite often, you get very good at controlling situations. And, you know, you, you first start making mess-ups and then you become quite good at sort of smoothing over the mess-up. And then after a while, you get really good at owning the mess-up. So I'd probably do something like, you know, too many questions, love to talk to you more. You know, clearly there's a lot more to discuss. Let's go to the pub afterwards. And then it would look like you were doing something really okay. clever and helpful. Is dead time dead? We we underestimate the wonder of being bored mm. and we underestimate the power of sort of idle thinking. So I think um, our kind of movement until quite lately to be productive and be on and be quick and be right, I actually think is overrated. And I think finding time to let ideas swim with us and finding times for things to sort of filter through our brains, I think is massively underrated so actually um yeah we shouldn't be trying to cram our days full of stuff we should be seeking moments to look out a bit further and ponder a bit mm. have you ever sent someone a voice message on whatsapp instead of typing i do this all the time i absolutely love oh. it yeah we have this very very odd environment at the moment where um, we are so keen to do texts which don't carry that much emotion and they seem to be quite quick and they're quite annoying to write. And then occasionally, because they don't convey much <laughs> meaning, we add things like GIFs or emoticons or emojis or something. Mm. And you realise if you were going to create an amazing new way to talk to each other, it would be like a sort of real-time audio text with the other person responding to in real time which would actually be a phone call. We would sort of innovate all the way to the phone call. And if all we ever knew was text messages and we'd never had a phone call and someone came along and they presented us with a telephone, we'd be like, oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, this is incredible. You meet Gary V in a lift. There are 20 seconds before the next floor. What do you say? Probably nothing, because I'm, I'm quite shy, actually. Like, I, I, I never would talk to people. And I don't really like this idea of, of fame and that people want to talk to someone because they're famous. And mm. I don't really... I don't really sort of enjoy short conversations. So I know it's a sort of crap answer. But I'd, I'd quite like to have a cup of coffee with him and, and to sort of find out a mm. bit more about him. But I don't really want to ask him about the weather. Not in 20 seconds, anyway. <laughs> no. uh, peak of inflated expectations or trough of disillusionment? I love invited expectations, actually. I'm very optimistic. I'm sort of a mm. profound dreamer of possibilities. Um, so even though this is obviously followed by this sort of crashing descent to hopeless despair, I'm, st <laughs> I'm, still, <laughs> I'm still a big fan of, of that. It's a bit like sort of Wiley Coyote running off a cliff in a way. Like That's quite a nice moment, yeah. isn't it, before he, before he smashes down to his death. What was the last hotel you stayed in that had an alarm clock with the old-style iPod pin connector built in? It was very recent. Um, so because I'm a man of, of, um, of extraordinary capability, I keep a mental record <laughs> of all the hotels I stay in in a year and how many of them have a new style iPhone dock. And I think I've now, in the last sort of three or four years, been in about 200 hotels and I've seen the new style in two hotels. The last Jeez. one, yeah, I know it's amazing. The last one was actually, so the last one I saw the old style. So I think this is from like 2014. So this is seven years ago. The last hotel I stayed in that had that was about six months ago when it was in Switzerland and it was a brand new hotel and it was really, really oh. fancy. 
And I was like, these people have worked hard to find this. Like, if you're building a brand new hotel in Switzerland and you want to find, <laughs> like, an old iPhone dock, like, you have to go out of your way to do that. Like, you have to, you have to sort of brief some sort of, like, hipster, you know, Nathan Barley-style, <laughs> yes. like, nostalgic yes. retro-tech souvenir shop to find these docks. But somehow their dedication to pissing me off was so great they managed to, to succeed. <laughs> Which one is more likely to make a comeback, Flappy Bird or Selfie Sticks? I don't think we've appreciated as a society quite how good it is that, that selfie sticks have gone away. Like, I think in, in, our, <laughs> in our rush to be miserable the whole time, at, at no point have we collectively gone, you know, we have a flu strain that's killing hundreds of thousands of people, but have you noticed that there are not as many people outside making a complete dick of themselves? <laughs> So yeah, selfie sticks are dead. This is an amazing human achievement and Flappy Bird will probably come back again. So so that one. We build you in the promo of this session as publicist groups en font terrible. Uh, which introduction has been as bad or worse than that? I had one where I didn't get an introduction, so I flew all the way to oh. um, a country to do a, uh, a speech. And just before I went on, the person said, thank you very much, your buses will be outside in the car park waiting for you. And I'd been paid to, to do it. So I sort of sat at the back of the room thinking, well, I guess I could just run and, you know, like I've already got the money. <laughs> yeah. And then about half the people left the room. <laughs> and then I thought, I guess I should kind of go up to the front and just sort of like, you know, sort of <laughs> say hi. And then someone realised that, that actually I was there and then they sort of called oh. everyone back. Oh. But then the MC was sort of so embarrassed they didn't really say anything. I felt a bit like some sort of climate change protester, actually, that had sort of um, held people back against their will. <laughs> oh. What does a growth hacker do? I think they pretend to know more about marketing than they do. Tell me about Generation Alpha. I think they're really hard to reach. I think they have no attention span whatsoever, despite the fact that they might spend about 24 hours a day on, on Twitch. I think they have no friends that they've ever touched. I think they're very demanding. I think they're very promiscuous. And I think they want conversations with brands. And I think they yes. also believe in purpose. I think they probably, when they go to a public restroom or toilet, I think they look at the brand of toilet paper and if it does not align with their values, and if it's not created by people who have been given all the chances in the world, they refuse to wipe their ass on it. That is Generation Alpha. <laughs> is it true that you have the same shoe size as Byron Sharp? I believe there's been nine studies done on this so far. <laughs> and I think eight of them came back with, with such sufficient bias um, that both Byron and I discounted them. <laughs> And I think it raises all sorts of questions about the factfulness of the media. And I'm pretty horrified, actually, that this is still something that we have to continually talk about because, you know, it's, um, it's pretty obvious. Which is your favourite HDMI port on your television? I think it's one. There's just um, there's mm. something so good about just knowing that, you know, it is the yeah. de facto HDMI input. Why has no one produced a smartphone app that digitally replicates Scratch and Sniff? Because Scratch and Sniff with a, was a con. Like, um, I'm surprised that there's been no investigative journalism done on this. But it was always clear to me that it was the power of suggestion. You know, like if you took away the colour, it's a bit like uh, orange squash. If you take away orange squash colour, it just tastes a bit bitter. If you take oh, away yes. blackcurrant squash's colour, it just tastes a bit bitter. The only squash with actually any altered flavouring oh, yes. is lime. 
you know, lime cordial tastes completely yes. different. Everything else is the same. Apple, apple just tastes uh, like orange. So yeah, scratch and stuff was was uh, was a uh, uh, the world's uh, first con. It was it was a ruse done by <laughs> Bernie Madoff before he went to prison to try and get people to think that they were actually smelling things that smelt like they were promised. My CEO is in town and has an opening. Or can I pick your brain? <laughs> I think uh, my CEO is in town because there's a there's a sort of honestness about that. You're you're basically sort of saying that you don't really have any power and that you really just need someone to help you out. So there's a sort of gentle sort of fragility to that, which I Mm. admire. You said it engage back in 2018. Influencer marketing is basically just attractive people holding things up in slightly strange ways. <laughs> Have you changed your mind? Yeah, because I think sometimes they don't hold them up. I think we saw this genre. <laughs> we saw this genre sort of start to evolve slightly because to start with, it was sort of um, gummies with vitamins for hair, and that lended itself to a sort of a, a clench or a sort of open arm. Um, and then now we're starting to see, you know, perhaps speakers or perhaps um, health insurance policies. And, and often those are things that need to be put on items of furniture. Often they're things that are sort of propped up next to bowls of fruit. So, yeah, I think we're, we're seeing a lot of evolution in this space away from, from the holding. Have you ever been called a guru in a non-ironic way? <laughs> there's, a, there's a weird thing about the Internet, actually, which is that it distorts every sense of reality. So I am very, very aware that uh, numerically speaking, 99.99999, carry on the nines for a while, percent of people have no idea who I am and have no interest in me whatsoever. And then when you look at people that actually know who you are and care about you, at the other end of the scale, there are some people that think that you might be quite helpful and quite knowledgeable and, and be really useful and that they should be somewhat proud to even be in the same elevator as you. So that it does appear to me, and it, it's quite worrying actually, and I'm not sure what to what to do to correct it but there are some people that i think have called me in that fashion in in a way that seemed quite real Uh, what will you be doing in june to fill the inescapable void that cancelling can has left Uh, (laughs) you know what and i I don't think now is the time to be particularly serious but there is something amazing about this current situation where we've taken an eraser to absolutely everything in our life and everything that Mm. we used as a sort of constraint to plan other things around has has been removed so so the days have sort of become a bit meaningless and night and day and location and space have become a bit meaningless so i don't really have any idea Mm. i was planning on going somewhere weird so i wanted to um i was going to go to sort of asia and sort of walk around um sort of little towns and stuff may need to escape all the people that think I'm a guru. But I don't think I can do that. So I might, I might um, I quite like the idea of renting a house in, in the middle of America and just sort of feeding mm. horses or something. Did you ever get those smart blinds installed? Yeah, I've, I've made quite a few of them, actually. So I, oh. I, yeah, I, um, I sort of created this little thing about four years ago and I, I sold them to 10 people in my apartment building oh um, wow yeah which you know on the basis that if they went wrong they, they'd easily sort of find me and, and sort of ask money back <laughs> and I asked them all to send me an email after using them for a year to let me know if they still worked and everyone replied and they said they still worked so um so since then nice. I've been on this rapid program of of scaling um and endless meetings with VC companies which has ended up with me actually not doing any work on it whatsoever, other than the fact that it gives me the ability to be one of those people in a pub that actually has a dream. 
you know, and that one day I'll get round to making it happen. Yeah. Which was the last app to be removed from your home screen? It was Raya. I don't know if you know what Raya is. Um, no. It's, it's a sort of dating app for influencers who hold up things. And <laughs> the, the idea is it cuts out people who don't have privileged parents. It cuts out people who do worthwhile things for a living. It's a sort of place where empty, sort of obnoxious, vapid types get to meet. And I was quite... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I should be on the promotional campaign for it, really. So it's quite—it was quite alluring in that all the women were obviously really hot, and then um, and then I realised that these things are actually just dating apps are basically just reassurance apps. Like it's it's basically a sort of mirror for people to um, to tell them that they look good, which is you know. So it wasn't happening with me. So the app must have been wrong. So I deleted it. Do you find it irritating on websites when you have to put in lots of digits, like a credit card number, but the keyboard doesn't switch automatically to a number keypad? The most annoying webs- thing on websites is when computers ask you things that they should already either know about you or they should be able to deduce from mm. you. If a company asked me where my zip code is, or if I was in the UK and asked me where my postcode is, like it shouldn't be asking me what country I'm in because it should already know that from the postcode. It shouldn't be asking me what city yes. I'm in because it should know that from the postcode. It shouldn't be asking me what state mm. I'm in. Um, so I get deeply, deeply annoyed by the fact that people keep on asking me questions they should know the answer to. And I do live in hope that actually, yeah, the, the, the credit card number would just be stored into my thing mm. and I can just sort of breathe on the keyboard and it fills up the numbers <laughs> like some sort of pixie dusk in a Disney cartoon. Uh, in June 2014, Yo! was the number one social networking app in the US. Last week, it was 1,115th. What happened? I think we realised that communication was based more around two letters. I think um, I think we became aware that there's only so many times you can say yo to each other. In all seriousness, though, I think um, we have this weird expectation somehow that everything thrives unless there's a reason for it to fail. Mm. And without being the most depressing thing around, like it's a kind of miracle when anything starts and, and, and keeps working. You know, like no, nobody... Uh, you know, the Apple store should be thinking, oh, my God, you know, I can't believe that our numbers are going down. They should just be amazed that people continue to use it. Like um, every single company and every single brand and every single platform and every single app and every single monthly subscription, you know, is basically a big sort of liability waiting to, to be cut off, I think. And that, that becomes a useful way to make sure that you keep on developing things and making them better. Have you ever written a LinkedIn post in that style? <laughs> No, but in, in all honesty, I have been quite close to. And by that style, I don't mean that I'm waking up at four and sort of <laughs> learning Spanish while I'm making a refugee and omelette. I don't mean quite that. But I have been quite tempted to be a bit more personal and a bit more optimistic mm. and a bit more of someone that's kind of giving people advice or telling them what to do. Aaron Sorkin of West Wing and The Social Network fame takes up to eight showers a day to revive his creativity for writing. How many showers do you take? I mix it up, actually. I, um, I do baths sometimes <laughs> um, and I do showers. So if I want to write a tweet, I have a shower. If I want to write an article, I have a bath. Yeah. What's your least favourite PowerPoint font? Because I am a professional keynote speaker, 
I use mm. Keynote actually. I um I think PowerPoint oh, is one of the worst bits of software ever made. I, I worked in new business for a long time, and there was a stage where basically ninety percent of our presentations were um, completely destroying the laptop and making us um, have to leave the room immediately. Um, so I fell in love with Keynote, <laughs> uh, and Keynote works every mm. single time. It's one of those remarkable bits of software that's so good that people never talk about it because it never goes wrong. There is a font that's doing the rounds. And I think oh. it's, I think it might be called um, Souvenir Graphic. It's basically this sort of slightly 70s, sort of homespun, slightly curly at the edges. And I realize now I have no idea how to describe fonts. Like, I don't even know what a serif is. Um, but <laughs> I love homespun. That was <laughs> it's this thing you see everywhere. And basically, if you're someone that's working in a house on reimagining salad, this is the app that you would use on your flyer, you know. <laughs> Tom Goodwin, the fragrance. What's it called? Relentless imagination. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. You've said that you've always been open to being entirely wrong and that being wrong is fantastic. What's the most wrong you've ever been? I have profound memories that when the internet came along... It was going to be wonderful in almost every way. And I remember being really optimistic that it would mean that everyone would have a voice and that you would be able to sort of hear from people in sub-Saharan African villages and that there would be sort of Cambodians talking to Chileans, talking to Canadians, and that amateur filmmakers would be making incredible works of art. Wikipedia mm. would develop into this amazing vestibule of, of information and that therefore we'd feel sort of the proverbial global village and we would feel this incredible empathy and togetherness and connectedness and ignorance would be dead and hate speech would quite quickly be seen by everyone to be non-fact-based and hatred and it wasn't like i thought it was going to be the 1960s and everyone was going to go around loving each other but i thought it would be this sort of <laughs> world of, of of sort of progression and excitement about the future and amazing capability being unlocked there was an ad campaign done by aol called the internet is a good thing and another one called the internet is a bad thing and I remember just being very pro on the on the this is going to be great thing. And I think um, mm. it hasn't really worked out quite as good as it can be. Do you have a superstitious routine for when your plane takes off and lands? Yes, I order about three gin and tonics. <laughs> when you land as well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just bookmarked with three gin and tonics fantastic well, I, I, for me landing is the the moment where you suddenly realize it's just about okay to speak to the person next to you mm. because both of you realize that it can't be that bad you know like you <laughs> the reality is that even saying something terrible at that moment um leads to a maximum of about one minute of awkwardness so yeah that's the first moment where i think oh maybe i should say hello to this person when was the last time you got a library book stamped i don't know i'm not that good with books if i'm really honest so i've never really been a big library fan so it would be it would be in primary school i think name a technology that genuinely solves a problem i think the, often the things that are most transformative are stuff that we don't notice so, mm. And this is very boring because obviously, you know, one would love to talk about hydrogen fueled cars or nuclear fusion or something. But I think any technology that keeps you signed into a website, mm. you know, I think that might be man's ultimate achievement. And I think what would be great is if, if someone could make a cookie that tells websites that you've accepted cookies 
that would that would really help you know maybe maybe a billion people yes who out of benedict evans and professor scott galloway would win one of those logic puzzles you find in puzzler magazine uh it would definitely be benedict evans i mean don't get me wrong like i Mm. i know scott fairly well i met him a few times and he's a razor sharp guy but you just know that benedict would just be spinning away (laughs) on that you know He'd be out of yeah, control. He'd be, he'd, 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 be, be he'd be one of the best people in the whole world. He probably wrote them <laughs> when he was three. <laughs> when did you first experience the internet? It was probably uh, Freshers' Week at university in Sheffield in September of 1997. 37 people found the review that gave your book a one-star rating on Amazon helpful. How helpful did you find it? I thought it was a very good bad review, actually, if I'm honest. Like, um, <laughs> I don't check the reviews that often because I've moved away from the stage of thinking that it might be really embarrassing and it might be a, sort of quite good. Hmm. But I remember when I saw it, I, I sort of went on this emotional roller coaster. I'm like, oh my God, I've got one star review. And then I read it and I thought, actually, well, that's really funny um, because it's called Digital Darwinism. Yeah, he, calls it, he calls it Origin of the Specuous. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> I actually tried to find the person, um, so you, you can you can sort of click on what other things they've done. I tried to build up oh, a right. mental profile of it. I gave it to Marcel so Marcel could try and figure out who this person was. <laughs> um, but I was never able to find it. But I noticed that he, he was quite—I um, think he was bipolar because he'd be sort of reviewing all sorts of weird things, like a garden hose. You know, and he'd love the garden hose. It'd be like the best garden hose he's ever bought. And then there would be a sort of, um, you know, like an electric blanket, which he thought was a, a sort of disgrace to mankind. So I think I figured out that maybe, increasingly as life goes on, it, it, it amazes me that we care about reviews because all it does is it tells you about the person. Like there'll be people being like, oh, this Thai food, it was way too Thai, won't come here again. You know, hotels, people sort of complain about hotels because they're too close to the main square. You're like, why are you going to Prague if it's not to be close to the main square? (laughs) Anyway. Shouldn't all debit and credit cards be vertical? Uh, They should be our faces. Like, we should never carry this stuff. We should never have a passport. Mm. We should never have an ID card. Like, they should just be drones that go around, like, scanning us. Um, and I kind of mean that actually fairly seriously. Like everything that we carry is basically a very insecure um, system that is sort of a bit unnecessary, really. Like um, if we assume that the government and the world is not full of horrible people that are desperately trying to screw us over at all times, um, and if we try and maximise what we can get in return for it, then actually I'd, I'd quite like our faces to be used to access these things. Uh, and final question if publicist group were to erect a statue of you outside their paris headquarters what pose would the statue be doing Mm. i think it would be a sort of anguished face rapidly replying to a tweet angrily (laughs) yeah and we finish on anguish and anger (laughs) fantastic (laughs) tom goodwin they were your 50 questions thank you so much thank you very much too you're listening to Stay Engaged from IAB UK. Thank you for tuning in to this offstage audio session. If you've enjoyed this session, please share it and tag at IAB UK on Twitter or Instagram. Subscribe wherever you're listening to hear the rest of the Stay Engaged sessions and for the regular IAB UK podcast. In the next session, we hear from digital marketing agency Tug and their client WWF. 
on how they use social media to mobilize billions of people in the battle to rebalance the relationship between nature and people. Coming up as part of Stay Engaged. <laughs> 